Hi, I'm Lori Jones, president of Avocet Communications in Colorado and host of the Integrate and Ignite Marketing Podcast. Join me and my guests, some of the world's top innovators, disruptors, and visionaries as we explore bold and brave marketing strategies for scaling and growing your brand. When Amrita Mathur joined Superside as their first marketing hire in 2019, there was no product, no platform, and no reoccurring revenue. No stranger to being called when companies are at a strategic inflection point with their growth strategy, she did what she spent a career doing, implemented a marketing-led growth strategy that translated into $8 million in subscription revenue in the first year and has achieved 400% year-over-year growth since then. Now as VP of Marketing, her team is revolutionizing design at scale for ambitious brands like Amazon, Meta, Shopify, and Coinbase. Amrita has quite a story to tell. On this episode, she and I talk about the importance of quick learning, taking action in marketing, and so much more. Join us as we discuss how her team utilized real data and testing to identify buying factors like customers' willingness to pay how Superside found big success with paid social media on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, her thoughts on adaptability in the workplace, the importance of incorporating customer feedback into messaging, her approach on account-based marketing strategies, and how to create a compelling brand name. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. I am so excited to have Amrita Mathur with us today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lori. I tell you, we are going to talk about all things entrepreneurial startup and, and, and really building a new marketing communications team and program. Before we get there, though, please tell us a little bit more about your background. Ooh, background. Well, I've been in tech my whole life. I've done B2B my whole life. Uh, it's a, It's been a long time now. I've kind of been at this for like 20 years, which is <laughs> crazy. Uh, I used to hear people on pods and whatnot earlier, and I'd be like, oh, 20 years, they're, they must be like 60 years old. And it's like, now I'm that person. Yeah. But well, I, I'm not going to laugh at the 20 years. I've got you beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it just feels like a long time when you with, with that. Something about that number is like two decades, you know? Well, it's a rite of passage too, though, because I think when we get to 20 years experience, we've got insights that are not gained in the first five years or 10 years of what we've done. So yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I wouldn't know how to quantify that exactly, but there's definitely something there. Like there's something to be said about, you know, how, like what your hit rate for your hypotheses are. Like right. I think the hypotheses are just so much better. Yeah, you're still going to run an experiment and you can still look at the data, mm -hmm. but the chance of success is way higher because yeah. you've kind of done this a few times. You're bringing that experience to the table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, yeah, been in tech, been in B2B, um, you know, been in marketing also my whole life, uh, kind of have straddled like what people now call growth, which is kind of inching into product or product growth. Um, done that a few times. And yeah, now I, the current company that I'm at, I've been here at four years as of this weekend, actually, 
and was my most early stage startup, I would say. So usually yeah. people bring me in at what they, what I call growth stage. So like they've got product market fit, they've got success with at least one segment. And now they're like, okay, like how do we blow the doors open? But this was like super early stage, like no marketing, no product, no sales, like this, nothing was really built out. We just had like an idea for what this thing could be. What interested you about, you know, moving into a marketing space with only an idea on the board? Oh, you know what? I don't think it was actually as deliberate as I made it sound just there. Um, I, I was at a point in my career where I just knew that, you know, I could, I could try something totally crazy and new. And what is the worst that could happen? Like in my head, I was like, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen? Well, I could get fired. Okay. Uh, maybe the company doesn't succeed. We'd know in a year if we had like the leading indicators to prove that this was a thing. Right. And then I'd just go find another job. Like it wasn't like the, the risk appetite was higher and the actual risk wasn't quite that high as I saw it right. back then. And so I said, let's, let's try it. And like, I, why not? Why not? And I yeah. vibe with the founders. Like I just love them so much from the first call that we had that I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it with the right people. And these, these guys seem like the right people. Yeah. That, I mean, that's half the battle is having the right team there. Um, so that you can really begin to build, you know, what their vision is, um, you know, along the way. So you get hired um, as VP. How many team members were um, in the company at the time? Ooh, it, was, it was small. I'd say yeah. like the core team was like maybe 40, 30, 40 people. Okay. Um, there was an engineering team. There was a product team. There was an operations team. There was, there was stuff happening. There was money being made. It was a it was a very different company, a very different product and mm -hmm. absolutely very different go-to-market. And what we wanted to become, or at least the idea, the nascent idea that we had that we wanted to become uh, was completely diametrically different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I came in just when they had decided, okay, we need to grow up. This needs to be a different puppy. And we have some like very nascent hypotheses for this. And Amrita, can you come, come in and help us figure that out? Basically. Yeah, that's great. So what was the first thing you did? <laughs> Oh, yeah. So through the interview process, I already had a pretty good sense of what their vision was, or at least right. the like their analysis of the market and the landscape was. And thankfully, um, it just the space that Superside is in, you know, I, I knew very early that I'd be a buyer persona for them. Like uh, what I did, like a marketing person of many different types. Now, um, I knew that marketing would be a great buyer persona for them. And, and I personally saw the need for a product like this. So right. that like a little shortcut for how you would invest, how you would think about stuff, how you would message things. Right. Cause like right. I'm myself. So the first thing, the absolute first thing I did was we all agreed like, Hey, we needed like a sick killer brand name, like a company name. Right. That kind of would exude this idea of this like magical place um, just for context, actually, because I'm, I'm jumping ahead just for context. What Superside does is we're essentially a design subscription company and it allows marketing and creative teams of, you know, mid-market enterprise companies to get design done at scale. That's and so great. I, and, and a lot of people use the subscription as a sort of overflow, like capacity overflow thing. That's a common use case. It's like, oh, well, we have our internal design team, but now there's like a lot of like projects that go up and down and 
hey, I'm going to need some overflow. That's common. But then also a lot of people use us for some very specific capabilities and skill sets. It's like you might say, hey, um, our social strategy this year is to crack YouTube or crack TikTok. And that is very video intensive, but I'm not going to go build a video team or that doesn't make sense for us at, at this moment. So I'm going to use SuperSight for that very specific point solution. That's great. Uh, so that that's just an example of what we do. So before and is go- it is it a collective of um, freelance artists, videographers, so on and so forth, or is it no, more AI generated? Neither. So it's human okay. power. With okay. some AI in the background, um, but it's it's a managed service. So we have our own people. Well, that's own fantastic. Employees. We build you a dedicated team. They know your brand inside out, your goals, your OKRs, your KPIs. They get to know the business really well. It's a it's double sided onboarding. We call it. And essentially, the hope is that you know within two to three months, let's say you're on the Amazon account or in the Meta account or you're on the Masterclass account you know, you're, you're basically no different than an internal team member. You're, you're a lot of, in the, in a lot of the same meetings, you have like yeah. a check-in, so on and so forth. So it's a fully managed. There's a service. lot of value with that. Yeah. Yeah. A so lot I think of value. It's, it's different than a freelancer marketplace where you're using, you know, uh, you're leveraging the skills of someone who's maybe not as connected to your business and you're doing it on a project by project basis. Whereas the beauty of a subscription is, it's just like a rolling thing. Like it's an, it's like, it's like a constant barrage of stuff. It's not just like, yeah. Hey, just this one little thing in a silo for me, please. Yeah, um, That's great. Yeah. You know, one thing that I think is really interesting here is the marketing mindset of the CEO. Yes. I think a lot of times um, marketing teams get hired um, because the investment team might say, you've got to start marketing. Or the board might say, you've got to get marketing started. But the CEO, the CTO, the CFO may not be believers um, mm-hmm. in marketing. They, they might look at it as a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's a little bit different with your product, um, yeah. but your CEO is a real believer in the power behind growth through marketing. And right. how did how did you, through your decision to go work for the company, how did you actually interview him in those kind of areas so that you knew that you'd be set up to succeed. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that came through on the first interview the first call. And I remember asking him something to the effect of like, this is a VP role, like, and you haven't hired any other execs and you're investing in marketing. So woohoo for us, but like, what, like, why explain that to me? And he talked a lot about efficiency and he talked a lot about how, he knows that this market is gigantic. In theory, the landscape is huge. The market is gigantic. But he was like, obviously, we're not going to sell to anybody. Not every Tom, Dick, and Harry. We really need to focus on and find product market fit. So from his perspective, it was about mainly efficiency and finding product market fit with one or two segments early on, getting a stronghold there and you know, a bit, bit of a beachhead strategy, and then expanding from there, which is right. so that is That is the best, most efficient way to do it. Um, and he didn't want to be like all the other startups that get a lot of funding and then they blow through a lot of cash and their CAC and their payback period is through the roof. And then eventually three, four years down the line, the board is like, what the hell? You know, he didn't yeah. want that. He was just like, we're not playing that game. We're, yeah. we're going to good for him. Yeah. And, and he didn't want to raise a lot of money or any money at all. He was like, we're going to build it in a way that we fund our own growth. Um, I love that. I love that. So 
Did that, I mean, that's like a challenge that we as marketers love. How did you align sales in that discussion? Because in that situation, it takes both to really be working hand in hand. Yeah. So we actually didn't have sales. We didn't, we didn't have anything, right? So we start, we, we <laughs> yeah. said this like idea for a product. We have some, um, some, some of it already built because we used to be a company called Consus. And what mm -hmm. they had built was this, like when they went through Y Combinator and Accelerator, they built something and we did go to market with that before I was hired, but it was very different. It just serviced. It was like a, you know, um, a product, like what we called it, like pay as you go project by project kind of thing. And anyone on the internet, Bob down the street could find us and be like, Hey, I need a logo for my whatever dry cleaning business. And yeah, it was not that different from a marketplace, like a Fiverr or 99 designs. or whatever. Right. Um, so by the time I joined, they had already built some of the tech and they kind of already knew how to like do all the amazing triaging and whatnot. But then they said, okay, now we should actually move into subscription mode and try to go up market and sell specifically to businesses. Now, which kind of business, what kind of buyer personas? Uh, I had to figure that out. So yeah, so to answer your question, like he... The founder, the CEO definitely had a great marketing mindset. He had this like efficiency mindset. He um, knew that to bring something to market in a really large um, space with a ton of incumbents and competitors that we have to differentiate ourselves early. Right. And we didn't have a go-to-market motion. So there was no sales. There was some search-oriented um inbound that was happening so someone searching i need whatever powerpoint logo whatever, right. whatever the design thing was they would land on our site and we could capitalize on that that's that's the only thing we had going for ourselves so the good news about that was at least i had some data to go off of at least i could right. what are people searching for who are these people are does anyone come from a large enterprise company if if yes which there were a couple if yes how do they actually use us what right serving what pain are they serving so that gave me a jumping off point um so to come back to your original question the absolute first thing we did is try to validate does the subscription idea have legs That's right the, um order of business so I'll, I'll get into how i did that and then we also said like hey we need to we need like a really nice brand name and something that represents this like amazing sort of black box magical place where you could just like go and be like oh my God, my CEO is speaking at a keynote at South by Southwest at 3 p.m. And I need like, whatever, I need some animation video to show to wow the crowd for an opening. And like, you could punch that in at 3 a.m. in the morning. And by the time you wake up, it should be in your inbox, right? Like this, this idea- Because we are up at 3 a.m. working and coming up with last minute ideas as marketers. Exactly. <laughs> I love exactly. it. That's great. Thing. Yeah. And we just said like, it has to feel that like this, like magical place. It's like, this amazing place, this like supreme, super, we kept coming back to this idea of like something that's just like super, you know, and actually the, yeah. European, the founders are all European and they use that in their vocabulary a lot. Yeah. Like, if you say, Hey, how's your day going? They'll be like, super, you know? Uh. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, it's like a fun thing that a lot of the Scandinavians say, or the Germans also say. Um, so I was like, ah, maybe there's something there. And yeah, we just like brainstormed and um, wrote down a bunch of .com ideas and then got to work to try to like purchase one of these domains. And we ended up buying superside.com from it's this. fantastic. Like, and you know what? Company. I love the hidden meaning behind it now too. I mean, it's, it's just, it's kitschy, it's memorable and it's meaningful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So you came up with the name, you know, that you're the buyer persona. Um, you're starting to develop, um, 
you know, then go to market strategy. So you're rolling up your sleeve and asking yourselves, okay, what are we going to do now to attract the audience and ultimately, you know, retain them through the funnel? Exactly. So, you know, through this validation process where we did a ton of interviews with who we thought our buyer personas would be, which included people like myself, uh, which included, um, you know, a lot of sort of the creative, I'd say creative leaders or heads of design, which we knew would be a strong buyer persona for us. We just did a ton of, you know, qualitative interviews, got a ton of amazing feedback from these folks, uh, came up with messaging that made sense um, and actually pulled together a website because we knew that that would be like where the conversion actually happens. Right. The website, there was like five or six pages, not a lot of stuff, you know, homepage, a couple of landing pages, the classic YS page, some testimonials and whatnot, because we didn't have anything back then. And then we said, okay, now this- Wait, like, So what is back then, by the way? So was it- Four years ago. Four, exactly. okay. Yeah. That's yeah, great. It was, uh, I joined in May, 2019, and we actually launched the market in September, 2019. So we spent a good- That's summer, awesome. That's like, a quick, that's a quick launch too. That's a quick launch, but uh, along the way, uh, people were getting frustrated and saying, oh my yeah. God, this is going very slow. So <laughs> it's a quick launch for marketing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we're launching an entire company, entire yeah. product. We had to figure out pricing and yeah. you know, we had to figure out all the tests. Anyway, so um, created this website, figured out, you know, pricing strategies and basic messaging, all of that stuff. And then we said, okay, let's let, how, how are we actually going to get the word out there? And there's some standard ways to do this, right? But we had no sales, we had nothing. And one of the things, and I was getting super stressed out. And one yeah. of the things the CEO said was, listen, I don't, and, and this is also profound. He said, I don't really care about revenue at this stage. Like it'll come, like, you know, if we do things right, it'll come. I care about your rate of learning. I, wow. I, yeah. That's like, incredible. Yeah. What he's really saying is like, we are in a place where we need to learn really, really fast and then channel those learnings into actual actions yeah. and you know, change the trajectory of marketing if things aren't working. And then that'll eventually lead to money. He was like, don't worry about like generating money right this second. And that was liberating because then you start chasing sort of almost like the right thing, right? Which is- yeah. Let me try to figure out who the hell was, you know, actually going to buy this. What is the willingness to pay? What are the um, other options that they would consider? Like, you know, trying to figure out all of those things through real data, through real testing. And so given the speed component um, and a guardrail that he imposed, like how quickly we can learn, we said, okay, let's put whatever budget and money we have against performance marketing use Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever was available to us and from a from a paid media perspective to bring in tons of traffic. And then that will allow us to like increase our velocity of learning. Right. And so that's what we did. Our our only and first and foremost channel, if you will, was just to say, let's advertise on paid social. And we didn't and, know which and and I assume that was because we've got far more insights from a behavioral standpoint on social to basically test and scale what we might do outside of those channels. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So we had search that was already working for us in some ways, but it search isn't well suited to um, the subscription business that we were trying to build. So my early hypothesis was if we are going to do paid media, let's do paid social. And maybe we just set up a very simple 
funnel, which is people come to the website, we do some convince and convert type landing page, and then we get them to raise their hand and actually book a demo with us which one of us will run like we didn't even know how we would do this but we're like ah one of us will just run this demo and like see and talk to you know actual prospects and see what they want and what their needs are and through that we'll just like learn very rapidly about um you know where they're falling you know what our win rate could actually be how much you know they're willing to pay does this subscription thing land like are a lot of people like what the hell is this thing why would i do that i only have this yeah. one. right like we were like ah we don't know so yeah, we started testing Facebook and Instagram in the early days, eventually started testing LinkedIn as well, but we started there and Instagram did really, really, really well for us. Wow. Like, like tons of people coming through the door, uh, tons of people being like, Ooh, I've been looking at looking for something like this. Like I totally get, like, I, I still remember some of the early customer calls. They were just like, I've been burned by creative agencies in the past. And I just never mm-hmm. want to work with them. I'm so glad there's an alternative solution. Like people would say stuff like that, you know, like they, they've been like burned and now they've found something different. Maybe we're not a fit still. Right. But they yeah. found an alternative. And that was like one validation. That was a key learning for us. Like, Oh, our enemy is a creative agency. Okay, great. We should think about that in our messaging. Right. Then there was another key learning, which is there's there's a lot of these people that have no design teams, internal design teams whatsoever. And a lot of them are coming through the door to find, to like really set up their founding design team. And over time we realized they're also not a good fit for us because no one knows how to manage and no one knows how to, what to set the expectations for right. what, what SuperSide should deliver. So we knew that they'd be problem customers for us down the line, which is, you know, continuing to be true today. And then we also realized that, oh, wait a second. Uh, we could actually, we could actually like from an advertising perspective, get in front of a lot of the right people early in the day, but this is very much a timing game. So it's not as, as a classic, like software where it's like pain point and needs, um, you know, led, um, it's very much a timing thing. They may not have a need right this second, but in the future they might. And as long as we have like a bit of that, uh, recall and brand and authority in their mind that's going to work out for us later. So, and have you found that, um, you know, given that the sales cycle, you know, can be a little bit long, are they mostly coming to you because a crisis has ensued? It's three o'clock in the morning. My boss is speaking at South by Southwest, or is it because, is it overflow or is it the design team that they are currently using just isn't delivering? Yeah, it's all of the above, less so the former now, less so the super crisis um although that does happen sometimes but less so that it's it's mostly like i'll give you an example um so facebook's a big customer of ours five teams five teams inside facebook use us now but how they initially came to us was um uh, this we had put out this like guide about design ops and why design ops is important for your business and for your design team someone from facebook a creative director had like looked at it you know she loved it and we, we just saw Facebook come through in our, in our like Salesforce like list. And we were Don't like, you love that? Yeah, <laughs> Those are such know. fun meetings. <laughs> I know. And they, it wasn't even a meeting. It was just like, she had just looked at a guide. It's not yeah. a big deal. So we were like, but oh my God, it's Facebook. Like, so we just had someone reach out to her and we were just like, Hey, what's up? Like, just want to see like what you thought of the guide. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it was good. It's some back and forth on email. Nothing came of it. Right. Three months later, they had this, they're launching this new product, which is, um, uh, a feature in a product, which is, you know how Facebook has like, these events that they do? Yes. 
Yeah. And they, they needed to produce like crazy number of banners to give users options for customizing their events page. So it could be like 10 different ways to do a birthday party banner. It could be like 50 different ways to do a Christmas banner, right? Whatever. Yeah. Like this, like they were like, it just makes no sense to do that internally. That, that seems like something that we should have a lot of versioning, a lot of, yeah. Yeah. So they could have gone to some agency. They could have gone to whatever, but for whatever reason, this woman remembered us from three months ago. She writes us and says, Hey, we're launching this thing. Would you guys be able to help us? And we were like, yeah, hells yeah. So it started with a specific project, but because they had an, a subscription agreement with us, they just continued to use us for a lot of different things over That's time. That's great. So That's wonderful. From, yeah. And it came from, you called it a crisis. So it wasn't necessarily a crisis, but it was a decision that the business made that it's not um, meaty and strategic enough to derail their internal team. Right. And something that they would like to outsource. And I think that's an incredible sweet spot that you've just defined as well. Um, So you decided ultimately to go more enterprise based on all this data that you had been obtaining and receiving um, through visits on the site, um, you know, people that you were moving through the funnel. Have you, since that time, do you have inside sales hired um, to help move people through? Or do you actually have a sales team at this stage, you know, going after the enterprise businesses? Yeah, absolutely. So just again, for context, first year was just like throwing shit at the wall, essentially, is what it was. And just the door, learning through that. We ran a ton of pricing experiments just to see, again, can we go up market? What's the willingness to pay? You know, blah, blah, blah. Did all of that. Then in sort of like 2021, we like looked at all our data and we were like, oh, wait a second. When people sign year-long contracts, and of course, when they are enterprise in nature, so Amazon's Meta, Salesforce, those kinds of folks, um, you know, Red Bull, Vans, a lot of these guys that signed up with us, we were like, oh my god, oh my gosh, the LTV is so much better, a lifetime value is so much better. They just they're customers essentially in some ways for life. Um, yeah. So we said, okay, we need to go up market. That's where the sweet spot is. Um, if we want to be you know, a, a business, a, an enduring business. And if we don't want a leaky bucket, if yeah. we don't want like, uh, you know, that much, uh, uh, we had our churn numbers were okay, but they weren't, they could be better. Um, and, you know, we all know the stats. It, it takes a lot more to win a new customer than uh, keep- six times. I think they have to interact yeah. with you. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. A crazy it's crazy. So it just makes sense to like, you know, have better customers, like the quality of your revenue. I, I always like to think about quality of revenue that that's something that marketing isn't tasked with often, but it yeah. should be. It's, like, it's a really good all, point. Yeah. And not all revenue is created equal, right? So it's like, if the business is very clear on what kind of revenue we want to give priority to that gives marketing and any other acquisition teams, a lot more sort of guardrails. Anyway, so that that's what we decided. And we said, okay, this is, it's time to like play in the big leagues. And so we were like, we already had a sales, but two, two years in, we already had a sales team to field the inbound requests. Right. It was basically a classic inbound funnel that we had set up, you know, performance, content, all of this stuff was like jiving and then leads would come to us. And then eventually when people were like, yep, I want a demo, I want to talk to sales, we would then hand it off to sales. Very classic B2B. Yeah. And we said, okay, how do we go up market? And we said, let's, let's do an experiment and see 
if there's, we could just assemble like a small ragtag team of like BDRs and try to approximate an ABM motion or an ABX motion, an account-based motion. And does that make sense? And like, you know, let's just have some learnings. So I think in like late, I think Q4 2021, we set up this team. Uh, by then we had, I had hired a director of demand gen who was really great and had a point of view on this. Um, so like him and this like small team just like tried to figure out, hey, does this make sense? And through that, we also figured out that you can kind of go after accounts willy-nilly. You like definitely need some intent signals of some kind. We, right. could, we could figure out what that is. That makes sense for us. We wouldn't get it right in the first place, but let's 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 not just do this like shooting in the dark kind of thing. Um, so we brought on, you know, some tech, we brought on um, some processes to figure that out. You know, how, how are we going to select these accounts? How are we going to assign them to the BDRs? What is the cadence? What's the strategy? How do we outreach? What do we say? All of that stuff. They started testing, started paying dividends, and we started, you know, opening some big accounts through that. We were like, okay, there's something here. And then 2022, we were like, okay, let's scale this puppy. Uh-huh. So as of today, we have a 24 person BDR team, which. Wow. That yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Mar- run by marketing. And my boss wants to double that by the end of this year. That so. is incredible. And what I love is, um, and, you know, the, the C-suite said, you know, we're going to be methodic about this. We're going to slake it, take it slow grow our insights and then pull the trigger. And that takes some real confidence. Yeah. Patience and confidence. And listen, there were, there were discussions where we were like, should we just give this up? This is not working. Yeah. And you know, this is where experience comes in handy. Right. And I, and I kept saying that we're not the first business to try this guys. This has succeeded. It's just a matter of the variables, the right variables. Right. Maybe we don't have the right BDRs. Maybe it's not good timing. Maybe it's the emails we're sending. Maybe it's the link. Could be like one small thing that we just need to tweak and then suddenly we'll have success. So it's just a matter of time to figure that out. Uh, But tons of businesses have done this. We're not the first ones to try this ABM thing. And I think that just, you know, just like keeping at it and like having this like positive attitude that, you know, by hook or crook, we're going to make this work. And it's just a matter of time. And it's just a matter of more experiments. And yeah, we just, we just continued investing in it. I think this is the thing, right? Like not everyone has the appetite to invest in something without seeing a return. And mentally, I had told myself it's going to be a year before we see a dollar from this thing. Right? Are we okay with that? And, you know, it was my job to make everybody involved okay with that. And, and mm-hmm. we were eventually okay with that. And we did see results. And that's why we've invested um, in a big way. Now, did you like organically gain insight from a jobs to be done approach, or did you methodically go out and interview, you know, once you were obtaining these customers, um, you know, what, you know, their need was and how ultimately messaging might need to pivot to, to meet the need? Absolutely. Our attitude, the whole business's attitude is that we know we don't know everything and we know that the world is changing fast and also the pandemic had hit right by then. I was thinking about that in the background, my goodness, but, but you served such an incredible need at that time too, because companies were downsizing. I mean, it's just really, it really worked to your favor. I would imagine. It gave us tailwinds for sure. Yeah. There, There was one big blocker, which used to be not, I, I might, this might come out wrong, but sort of like people just had this, like, um, 
desire that they could just like turn their chair and talk to a designer and be like, do this, right? They, they kind of had this like visual in their mind that how could like remote design work actually work and how yeah. would I integrate with them? And that seems like very onerous. And then the pandemic came and it forced everyone to go digital and remote. So it didn't matter where you lived. You didn't matter what country you were from. Like you just had to get your shit done. And that attitude, the development of that attitude got accelerated and right. more bought into a solution like ours, where people were like, no, 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 you're not going to be chatting with some designer every single day. It's, it's, it's like, you're, you're going to have a point of contact. Everything goes through the platform. It's very automated, blah, 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 blah. And people were like, finally, okay with that. So that really worked in our favor amongst a few other things. Um, you know, people's, um, digital habits and screen time went up, right. Which again, Mm -hmm. favor, um, but that was aside, aside from that, I think where, where we, definitely saw some resistance was uh, the availability of people because people had mm-hmm. kids at home. Um, right. The, the, you know, back in the day, four, three, four years ago, you could find out someone's office address, maybe their office phone number. There was ways to reach them. Right. That pandemic definitely took away. And it, that that persists until today. Like today, if I even want to send a gift to a customer, I don't know where to send it. They, yeah. they don't work out of their office. Who knows where they are, right? So like simple things like that have become more problematic than they were previously. It's but a yeah. funny thing because um, in the agency world, you know, agencies were always big on, you know, offices in San Francisco and Denver and Chicago and New York and, you know, Miami and London. And now like the whole Pache surrounding, you know, offices is, needless it's it's totally gone to the wayside um from an influential standpoint because guess what now we can take a look at our teams they're all over the world and it doesn't matter i mean because we're still getting the job done exactly it doesn't matter it's it's an interesting juxtaposition and mindset as you're um building this team and building it during a pandemic and and bringing in customers that are you know incredible incredible brands are you just pinching yourself and saying, you know what, this is working and this is a lot of fun. And I'm glad I took this risk. Yes. And no, I think while maybe this <laughs> me, like I, it is four, four years post. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. And, and I think like, while stuff was like starting to work out, I was like, woohoo, like, a, yeah, sure. Pat on the back. But yeah. when you're in it and I'm also supporting this like whole GTM motion and this team. You always have to be like thinking about the next thing because right. like nothing lasts, like no playbook lasts, no hack lasts, like nothing really lasts and the goals keep changing and they keep growing. So you're always that's like- great leadership, you know, back to, to the 20 years, that's great leadership. I hope so. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I have been told that I, I need, I need to help the team celebrate our accomplishments more. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, my, I'm personally just wired to just always be like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next optimization? Like, you know, just like, it just never stops. Uh, and that's exciting for me, but I, I know that that's not what everyone else lives and breeds. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been like a lot of things had to go right and they did, and we had to have the right, you know, guardrails and the budget and the pandemic and all of this stuff, uh, the timing just like worked out in a way. So, you know, we did a lot of things well. Uh, but I will also say, and I know for a fact that 
just like timing and the universe plays a huge role in how it does. There's no doubt about it. Um, One of the things that I think uh, is really interesting about the go-to-market strategy is the messaging um, and the delivery mechanisms that back it up. And you believe in customer first, people first, uh, this customer centric mindset, um, which a lot of times people just say, okay, here's a headline. We're talking about the customer. Um, That's customer first, but it's so much more than that. Um, It's really every touch point of building a brand that a potential customer could interact with, including marketing materials that don't necessarily have a person backing it up. How did you instill that mindset and importance with the team and then build out that strategy? Yeah, great question. I will say that the work is certainly not done and I definitely did not do that alone. Right. Uh, like I, I think everybody that we've hired in the last couple of years, like now we actually have a customer success team. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was built with this, same thing in mind, which is like, how do we actually help customers ex- extract the most value from Superside? How can we accelerate that in the first 30 to 60 days? You know, what is the time to value? All of those kinds of things we really, um, you know, take pride in and think about a lot. So it certainly wasn't just a marketing mindset. The, the specific thing that I think marketing does well is that I'm very cognizant that there are, there's like language that your own customers use that could be leveraged to, you know, help them and convince others in the future. So I, I, I personally do all our win-loss calls. Uh, You know, if you're in, if you're in B2B, you know what win-loss is, but basically it's just like a call you do with a prospect that you either won as a deal or lost as a deal. And you just do them in rapid succession after that event happens so that the customer also remembers, you know, what the hell was going on because memories fade. And I try to do it the decision maker or at least a strong influencer. Sometimes I do it with multiple people inside the company. So I personally do everyone lost call. Any, anyone that's willing to talk to me that became a customer or we lost a deal on, Um, I do that call. And like, I literally write down so much verbatim, like, what are they actually saying? How do they describe Superside? How do they describe their pain? What was going on in their life at that time? And then I use that same language. There's patterns. I use that back in our messaging. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that, um, that it seems, you know, so simple, but when you don't take the time to do it, you don't have the information. And that conversation, I think sometimes gets pushed aside too, um, either for ego or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, it's a real value, uh, to, to the market, no matter what, or to the customer base as well. Then are you sharing that information with the sales team and everyone, um, you know, I'm sure all the way up to the C-suite, uh, so that you can continue to break bad habits that may have been formed and, you know, not repeat them. Absolutely. Yeah. Our, what I've, um, landed on, and maybe there's better ways to do this is that, Every time I do do a call, I actually just like summarize it and post it in a Slack channel that we have called Customer Insights. So everybody that's subscribed to that channel can see it. You could be in sales, customer success. It's like a real-time live feed. And we all do that. So if anyone right. else talks to a customer, let's say it's someone from our product team because they're doing some user interviews, they'll post it there too. So we are all, the whole org is constantly sharing these like yeah. little insights. And then once a month, I collate at least the data that I have, the qualitative data. And I'll say, hey, 
here's a takeaway. Here's an important insight. Here's like a thing that I learned. Oh, by the way, this pricing discussion we're having over there, maybe there's something that we can learn from these last two conversations. So I try to connect. The reason I do it personally and not, not that the team doesn't do it is because I think that I have the best chance of connecting the dots on a lot of these big initiatives. Yeah. Um, and just like, I'm constantly learning and talking. It's, to it's the vision that I think leaders have, um, that sometimes, you know, take time to build. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, this is such an interesting conversation here is, and, and you've got all this experience, you're four years in, uh, you, you know, you've got a culture that is all about learning and growing from, you know, what you have learned. Is there anything that you've learned that you've said, Hmm, I could have read that one a little bit better. <laughs> Yeah, always, always. Yeah. Uh, there's always stuff like that. I, I mean, again, at Superside, I've been lucky that a lot of the big bets have panned out. But an example of where I was so sure that this is going to be like the greatest thing since sliced bread and hasn't quite panned out yet has been this idea of like community. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure this word is like, you've heard this word like tossed around a million times and everyone means something different with it. For us, community is something that's already an happy accident from all of the demand gen and brand building that we do, right? Like we're forming this community of right. and well-wishers and whatnot, but we wanted to formalize that. We said, hey, could we have a community that acts sort of like a customer advisory board and a bit of an advocacy sort of panel? And perhaps they can all, we can connect them all and they can all learn from each other and share data from, you know, with each other. Um, and have the and and do it in a place like maybe we could like do it, you know, on some kind of platform, you know, whether it's a LinkedIn community, whether it's built on, you know, Slack or something else. And we try to formalize this thing. And I think we've been at it since spring of last year. So it's been a full year. Yeah. And it doesn't have legs. And really? it just, people are just not participating no matter what we try. Mm-hmm. And I, the the only insight I have on that is that I don't think people want to be forced to participate in a specific way. I think they want to right. do it, they want to do it, how they want to do it in as fluid a manner as possible. So I think mistake number one was trying to force them into like a space. You know, we built our community on top of this platform called Circle. It doesn't matter what we built it on Slack, Circle, what have you. Right. I don't think it would have worked out either way. Um, is it? by generation are you seeing generational differences there or is it just you know what I haven't even thought about that to be honest Mm -hmm. huh I have not even thought about that um it's so interesting because we're having similar discussions and our clients are as well so for instance we've got this incredible building um that I purchased 10 years ago we renovated it it was built in 1890 it is amazing you you can see a piece of it behind me with the yeah. red brick walls it's incredible so the older generation team members are in the office every day mm. they're here every day mm. the younger generation is more comfortable working from home and if they're out of state, of course, they're not in the office weekly. If they are in state, they're in once a week. Mm-hmm. And the efficiency is still there. But anecdotally, it was really interesting me, interesting for me to start studying this a little bit. And we can't force speed, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the comfort level that people have. Yeah. Um, so anecdotally, you know, it doesn't tie into what you're saying, but we definitely saw a generational difference 
on um, habits changing and being formed. So yeah. who knows? It is interesting. And I think, you know, in, in that situation, it's like, okay, how do we adapt what we all know so well to someone who, um, you know, it's almost like reverse mentoring, right? Mm -hmm. Like how can we reverse mentor this um, so that people understand all aspects of what it is that makes someone tick and feel comfortable with using Slack or a different type of communication tool, whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. That's such a great point. I love that. And it's great that you're observing that and trying to, um, you know, figure out the antidote and, and it's not a one size fits all approach, which is it's great. not. Yeah, no, it definitely isn't. So what is next? What is around the corner for you and the brand and your leadership? Uh, what, what haven't you achieved that you know you must? Yeah, I mean, there's tons. Just from a pure metrics perspective, like we really want to have like as high, you know, net dollar retention as possible. Mm. So the standard for like good software companies that have made it that have a very sticky product is something like 120%. So that's wow. our, our goal is that like, we're, we're actually like a bit under than where we would want to be. We're like at 90, 97%. Um, so that's like objective number one for the whole business. It's like just improving that, which means the quality of revenue that's coming in has right. to be, we have to attract the right type of customer. Of course, we have to have great onboarding, great training. You know, someone said this to me just the other day that you kind of have to resell your customer over and over and over. It's not like you've just sold them and you're done. Yeah. The, 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 the thing with the subscription is that you're adding new users all the time. Yeah. And sometimes the original decision maker might leave the company or they're out of there, they're in a different team. Something happens and some, someone else has taken over. So you kind of are essentially reselling them. Over Constantly, and over. yeah. And, 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 and training so that they use the tool. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we can't take our eye off the ball, right? It's not like, woohoo, we won this revenue, now we're out of there. It's like, no, you're still selling. So changing the mindset around that and thinking about that constantly. Um, and then the second thing is like, you know, we're like a $50 million company, but we want to be 150, 200. I love it. Which is a different yeah. scale. There's no doubt in my mind, you won't achieve that. I mean, that is around the corner. I love it. Hope so. I, I, I think we're really, we really are providing a service that people want. I think that's the first thing, right? Do we have product market fit? Yes. With some segments, we really do. And can this be something bigger than what it is today? We, we feel like it can because we've talked to a bunch of our customers and they tell us every day how we're changing their lives. And, you know, there's this like very famous question that someone coined in one of the tech leaders out of the Valley. Um, I actually forget who said this, but a way to figure out what, how, how, how much your product is loved is to ask a question, what, what level of um, how painful would it be if you suddenly lost access to yeah. insert product name? Yeah. You know, and, and is I, it we should be asking ourselves that every day, <laughs> you know, as service providers. Um, I mean, it's, it's truly one of those situations that we can't lose sight of. That's incredible insight there. And you don't want to lose sight of it. Just a quick question um, as we're beginning to say goodbye here. So it was you four years ago. I know that, that you've got ABM um, and inside sales reporting to you now. How have you and how large is your in-house marketing team? Yeah, so marketing is, which includes creative, like the creative team is not centralized at Superside. Like it's, it's, it's under marketing and they mainly service marketing. Um, 
our team is about 30, I'd say 32 people. Yeah, that's fun. That's great. Yeah, it's a sizable team. We do a lot of stuff. We also hire a lot of, I'd say like, just, I call them like generalists where like people can like backfill each other. They can move around. They can change jobs a little, like yeah. you know, doing the same thing forever and ever. So we, we hire some like super deep experts in a couple of areas, but a lot of our folks are generalists who can just like jump around and do a bunch yeah, of stuff. Yeah. That makes yeah. marketing so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Amrita, you have been amazing. I appreciate your authenticity. I tell you, you gave us so many um, ingredients to building a great, great team, a great recipe for success. And I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thank you, Lori. Thanks a lot. This episode is complete. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for more ways to scale and grow your business. And be sure to tune in regularly for insights and motivation with host Lori Jones and her guests on the Integrate and Ignite Marketing Podcast.